Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode number 127 of ADHD for Smartass Women. This episode is brought to you by Five Days to Fall in Love with Your ADHD Brain, our free master series that I'm running again, beginning on June 21st. I'll read you a couple of comments from the last time we ran it. So Suzanne said, I cannot tell you how life-changing this event has been. Thank you. Pamela said, just listening to you made me feel super inspired and sparked a lot of positive emotion. I feel energized and validated and have a ton of new ideas to try. I can't even tell you how much I appreciate being able to do this for free as someone who's been out of work due to COVID and can't afford paid courses right now. Thank you ever so much. Eliza said, you delivered so much so generously. Thank you. You renewed my love for my brain and gave me lots of new info that I'm implementing now to maximize my gifts and minimize the challenges. So if you too want to fall in love with your brain, sign up for our five days to fall in love with your ADHD brain master series at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash I love my brain. So in this episode, I am going to introduce you to the lovely Adele Bridges. Adele is an international yoga teacher, health coach, and author who grew up in Mississippi, moved to the UK, and after a few years of wandering aimlessly through life, found yoga. It's never wandering aimlessly. We always get something out of it, right? She spent two years traveling as a nomad around the world, teaching yoga and continuing her training in various areas of mindfulness and movement. Adele is a self-proclaimed geek and applies her degree in psychology with her training in the neurology of movement to her yoga and movement teachings. She now splits her time between London and Florida and shares her love for the power of mindful movement to community on movewithadele.com. Adele, did I get all that right? Yes, it sounds even better than I think I would put it myself. So thank you. <laughs> well, and thank Adele, you so much for having me. 
Absolutely. I have to say you have the most amazing Instagram. You are just too darn cute. So creative, funny, eloquent, very ADHD. (laughs) Thank you. It's so beautiful. It's no wonder that you have, I think, close to half a million followers because you make me want to do yoga. You make it look so fun. Oh my gosh, that's probably the highest compliment anybody could give me. Thank you. Because yoga has just been so transformative to me as it has been for, you know, thousands of people uh, for decades. And so it's just been my whole life for the last few years to share this and and convince people that it's worth doing. So thank you. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't know, probably about seven years ago, My husband, my daughter, and me, and my son indirectly, we did Bikram yoga for about five years to the point where we were doing those 30-day challenges. Bikram yoga, for those who don't know it, is, I don't think it's particularly good for your body (laughs) because you, you, I'm already really flexible and I think I would, I don't know what the term is, but I would overflex, you know? And I would hurt myself. So Bikram yoga is you're in this, I think it's 114 degree temperature room. It's really kind of gross, but you feel, and it's 90 minutes, you feel so good after you do it. But I was always having back problems from it. But you get kind of addicted to it because again, I think it just really increases the dopamine. Yeah, I I have to say I'm not... I'm not really a fan of it. Um, first of all, I, I, yeah, the, the the man himself, I think, should be smudged from history um, for what he's done. But the the hot, intense yoga, well, I just think it's always worth remembering. It's always worth it for people to remember that there are so many different ways of practicing yoga, and that's just one way. But it's really interesting that you say that you're naturally flexible because I have actually co-authored a book on hypermobility with my best friend, and she's she's also a yoga teacher, physiotherapist, Celeste Pereira. We we both have hypermobility, and we wrote this book for people who kind of maybe who were like us and didn't understand what it is and how we need to practice yoga a little bit differently. So that it just kind of explains like what is hypermobility? How do you know if you have it? How does it set you apart? And and we think of it as a superpower. And so the book is actually really fun. It's kind of written in comic book style. So we've got like our superheroes and our supervillains throughout the book. <laughs> Uh, because there's a lot about there's a lot of anatomy and biomechanics and some neurology as well in the book, and we know that that can be kind of dry, so we made it fun in this comic book style. It's coming out in August, and it's called Too Flexible to Feel Good. There's also little bits in there about how to like what to do about the anxiety, the fatigue, the gut issues, and some of the other issues that come with hypermobility. Oh my gosh. But it's mostly just kind of learning about how to hold your body in a way that protects your joints. That's something that I would love to geek out about. There is a high correlation between people who have joint hypermobility and people with ADHD. Okay. So you hold on to that thought because I absolutely want to go back to that. It's interesting because as you're talking about Bikram, I want to talk about all about your business. I think you have a new app that you just built. But before we go there, can we talk about ADHD first? 
I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell me, when were you diagnosed? What were the circumstances around it? Okay. So it was, I'm, I'm 35 years old and it was very recent. It was just in the last couple of months that I was diagnosed and oh. yeah, I had no idea. I was one of these people who associated ADHD with like that naughty kid at school who always acted up. But about a year and a half ago, I have an identical twin sister and she was diagnosed. So she started telling me the things that she was learning about ADHD and a lot of the things that you talk about here on your podcast and how it presents itself in grown women and how it is not just what we in the mainstream kind of think of it as. So things started kind of falling into place and then I kind of self-diagnosed myself. I was like, okay, well, my identical twin sister has it. We share the same DNA, so I probably have it too. But then learning so much about the the symptoms and and paying attention, just, you know, noticing these things in my everyday life and looking back at the the sort of trajectory of my life. You know, you mentioned in in the introduction that you did for me that I wandered aimlessly and you're absolutely right that it wasn't necessarily aimless in that it didn't give me all sorts of experiences that I have drawn on and continue to draw on. But yeah, I was bouncing around all over the place. As soon as something became difficult or I got just a little bit bored of it, then I was on to the next shiny new thing. And just just sort of noticing all of these things and learning as well about the presentation of RSD and the association with with that and people with ADHD, it's just so many things were like, it was my mind just being blown over and over and over again. And so I was like, okay. So finally went and got my diagnosis. And, and so Adele, yeah. can I ask you about your sister? When she was diagnosed though, did you think, oh, it couldn't be ADHD or right away were you like, I'm going to research this. This sounds like since she's my identical twin, sounds like something I should be up on as well. It was kind of like, well, I was living in the UK at the time and she lives here in the US and the rest of the world has a a perception of the United States, as I'm sure you know, as um, being quite sort of trigger happy when it comes to diagnosis and medication. And so in all honesty, that's where my brain went. I was like, well, yeah, I mean, in the US, you can get a diagnosis for anything if it means that the big pharma companies can sell you a drug. And so that was, and I I hate to say it because that's exactly the kind of feedback or resistance or uh, suspicion that I've received as well. So I yeah, I, I feel bad that, that that was where my brain went, but it is where my brain went at the beginning. But she very graciously educated me on it. Um, yeah, she would just, she would say, no, it's like, um, so my psychiatrist told me that this is part of being ADHD. And, and then I started doing this course in neurology and started learning a bit more about the different ways that the brain can work and how we all have these different perceptions of the world that we live in based on the wiring of our brain, which can be caused by genetics or environment. It can be caused by, you know, chemicals and hormones, or it can be caused by actual events in your life. 
that causes some sort of trauma or some sort of scar tissue in the brain. And it started making sense to me that actually it's not, it's not about (laughs) big pharma getting into our lives to make us spend money on their drugs, but actually that we just have, we all have different brains that interpret the world differently. So Adele, when you go back and you look at your childhood, are there ADHD symptoms that are now very clearly apparent to you that maybe you kind of always wondered, well, why was I like that? But you didn't go any farther than that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one reason that it it was never picked up for me or my twin growing up is because our mother was a second and third grade teacher and she was the teacher. She was really good. She has a talent for dealing with, well, neurodivergent children. And she just has this natural gift for recognizing that that some kids need different things. And so the administrators at her school where she taught would always give her all the naughty kids. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that she... Translated without, into the without, smart kids. Ex- yeah. And she didn't even, I don't think she necessarily was conscious of it, but I think that she was always able to kind of nudge us in the right way and, and structure us in the right way with our own schoolwork so that we were always able to do pretty well. But then it was always the case where like testing me and my sister both when it came to the exams where it really matters, we would do awfully. And we knew, you know, we did well in school. We knew the information. Our teachers mm-hmm. liked us, but we didn't, we, you know, we, we knew that we had the potential to graduate at the top of the class, but we kind of, we were somewhere in the middle. And looking back, I'm kind of like, well, yeah, that's because I would freak out during like the reading section of an exam. And I wouldn't even be able to take in the information because I was, you know, I, I was trying to get through it too quickly and and all of these things. And then, like I said, always, as soon as something became challenging for me, I mean, maybe I can't blame this entirely on ADHD, but, (laughs) um, it was always kind of like, well, I'll just do something else then. And it meant that, yeah, I just had no idea what I was going to do with my life until I was about 30. So Adele, when you say, when things got challenging, I walked away. Was it really that things got challenging or was it that you got bored? Or maybe a combination oh, of both? Oh, for sure. It was, uh, it was boredom. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, I would always say that about myself. Oh, I get bored easily. I get bored easily. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it's, oh, it's, that's how my brain is. <laughs> so what has changed since you were diagnosed? Well, hmm. I think the main thing is, and I always say that information is therapeutic and understanding gives you a sense of safety and belonging. And, and I think that that has been the biggest thing is just being able to understand this is the reason that I am like this. And it's not attaching a label to myself and identifying with this diagnosis it's simply being able to recognize, okay, no, I really want to get up and procrastinate and do anything but this task in front of me. But that's just because my brain wants to look around at everything else in the world instead of focusing on this thing. And so now I know 
for example, just do the the next step. I think what's, what is just one tiny little step that I can take towards finishing this goal instead of looking at the big giant task in front of me. So it's just little things like that. Just being able to be kinder to myself above all else, but also recognizing some of the habits that I have already put in place unintentionally for my ADHD. And I look at those and I'm like, oh, that's why I do it that way is because that's how I need to do it. So you mentioned RSD or rejection sensitive dysphoria. Was that or is that a big struggle for you? Because you certainly, on your Instagram, you just seem like the happiest, most upbeat, you know, not a care in the world human. Uh, Tracy, it's because I always feel like putting that content is a form of giving my energy. And I cannot give my energy if I'm feeling under that weight of anxiety and pressure and and I just can't post anything un- unless I'm feeling good. And, but I mean, oh my goodness, Instagram, Instagram has been one of the worst things for the RSD. And so can I ask <laughs> you how long, I can imagine, you know, I have a love hate relationship with it. So how long have you had your Instagram? Oh, uh, well, I started my Instagram around the same time that I started yoga. So I guess about six years now. Okay. And I mean, it's clear that you put so much of your heart and I'm sure work into that Instagram. It is, I'm not just saying this, it is amazing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You just, you you have, you know, when, when we talk about ADHD and activity, clearly, you exhibit that through your Instagram because it's, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of yoga Instagrams and yours, it just makes you literally want to run out and yoga. And you made a comment about you have to feel positive emotion, which is our ADHD brains, right? We're driven by that or our success is driven by that is what I should say. And so if you're not in positive emotion, you can't post. So it's almost mm-hmm. like Instagram is kind of a form of therapy to sort of keep you on track. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, it very much is. And it keeps me accountable as well. And I know that I could share the downsides, mm-hmm. but I see my Instagram as somebody with a following as big as mine and as a yoga instructor as well. I'm not posting as a yoga practitioner. I'm posting as somebody that is potentially guiding others through movement, through maybe meditation, you know. And so I see it as a service. I want to give people something that's valuable to them. And so I will occasionally open up about something I'm struggling with, Mm -hmm. of course, because I think that's really helpful for people to see. But I I can't go on there and just be like, poor me, this is what I'm going through, because I feel like that's not... That's not helpful to anybody else. If I say I have been through this struggle and 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 I want to let you know that it's normal if you're going through it too, or this is what I did to get through it, then that's valuable. But just to be like, I'm having a really bad day, guys, meh, and leave it at that. I don't I don't feel that that's um I don't want my Instagram and or any of my online presence to be about that. And so yeah, and so it, it does very much like 
it keeps me motivated and it keeps me accountable to keep up with all of the practices that I do, not just movement and not just meditation, but my, you know, gratitude journaling, tapping, pranayama, all these things that I do to keep myself as mentally resilient as possible. So these are the practices that you've employed to combat the rejection sensitivity. Yes. Yeah. And the tapping is probably the most effective. I totally agree. I'm a huge proponent of tapping. I was really excited when I heard your podcast on it. I was like, yes, Uh, it's yeah. I've been telling so many people about it since I found it. Anything we can do to get out of our brain and into our body, right? Yes. Okay. So yoga, that is the perfect way to do that. So talk to me about yoga and how this all came about and why or how you think ADHD may be connected, blah, blah, blah. Okay. All right. This is what I've been looking forward to because I got really excited talking about this. So just to start off, the when I first started practicing yoga, it was on an app, actually. I'm pretty sure that app no longer exists in my bedroom. And I didn't understand at the time why, but I just knew it made me feel really good. It made me feel calm and this just inner peace. And my my mind had stopped bouncing around all over the place. And I was I felt calm within my body. Now I know like the, the sort of brain neurological reason for that. But, um, but at the time I was like, okay, I don't know what, what it is about this, but I like it. But I also, I would say to all my friends, because all my, I became immediately obsessed with it. And all of my friends just were like, they just associated me with yoga. I was like the yoga girl, the yoga chick, because uh, it was all I talked about. And everybody was like asking me to teach them or telling me to go become a teacher. And I was like, no, I do this all the time. I get really into something. And then after six months or maybe a year, I'll be sick of it. I get bored with it and I move on. So this time next year, I'll probably be into something like kickboxing. <laughs> um, but as I got more and more into yoga, I discovered that there's there's no way I could ever get bored with it because there are so many different branches of yoga, so many different styles of yoga. I mean, I've, it's been my life and my career for over five years and I still feel like I'm at the very beginning. There's so, so, so much to explore with yoga. And and that's why I get really excited about it because really yoga is just the practice of being mindful in a way that you can connect your mind with your body and your breath. And you go from being like this disconnected thing, person, like with all these different tiles laying on the floor, I guess. And then yoga kind of helps you put them all together into this beautiful mosaic. Although I said this, I was using this analogy, this mosaic analogy to my sister and she said, yeah, but we're, we're always changing. So it's more like a kaleidoscope. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. I'm totally stealing that. So but what yeah, yoga so, does is it stops the chattering in your mind, your brain, right? Yes. Yeah, because you, I mean, there's, I suppose that you could say there's lots of different reasons for it, but I, I always say that 
it's not just stretching. It's not just moving. You're, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're doing a very gentle restorative yoga class that doesn't involve much moving or you're doing a really high power like uh, vinyasa class, the main aim is to pay attention to how you feel in your body. And I think the reason that it's so powerful to use movement is because your body is this tangible thing. You can see it. It's, you know, you can pinpoint, you can say, okay, I'm doing this forward fold and my hamstrings feel tight from the stretch. And I can point to my hamstrings and be like, that is where I feel the sensation. And it's this tangible thing. And so you develop the skill of becoming aware of how you feel in different positions, in different environments, in different postures, and also how you can use your breath to calm yourself down and bring a sense of safety to a challenging posture or a challenging transition. But this becomes a skill that begins to kind of bleed out into the rest of your life. And I think for me and for many other people, it, it happens without you even noticing. Suddenly you're, you're sitting in traffic and you're late for a meeting and you remember that you can just take control of your breath and you can calm your breathing and you can calm your mind just by noticing that, okay, I'm in this situation that I have no control over. And so I may as well just calm my breath. And that's where it's, it becomes so powerful is this, the skill of noticing your body can become a skill as well of noticing your thoughts and noticing your emotions, noticing your mental or emotional reaction to the situations that you're in. And then you become a, a little bit more in control of yourself in any situation instead of feeling like you're out of control. And so how does yoga do the emotional component? Because when you are doing all these poses, are you actually even there thinking about emotion or is it after you're done that that comes up and you realize that you have more control, emotional control? Well, I think that maybe it comes with practice depending on the yoga instructor and what they're kind of guiding you to do. One thing that I like to do sometimes is bring people to, I, I used to teach a workshop. Um, I should, uh, I should do this again. I haven't done it for a while. I would bring people to a posture called warrior two, which is like a lunging posture where you have to hold your arms out by the side. And it's, it's pretty simple to do for two breaths, maybe five breaths, but I would hold them there for a full minute. And, and I would ask them to just pay attention to the emotions that they felt. And I would sit down in front of them and I would relax and I'd be like, how do you feel that I get to sit here? I'm telling you to hold this posture while I sit down here and relax, are you angry with me? Does it make you envious of me? Do you not care about me, but you're like, what, like what's, what is happening emotionally for you? And just pay attention to that. Just notice it and, and be aware of it. You don't have to do anything with it. Just use it as information. But that kind of noticing your emotions in a posture might take some prompting perhaps, or it might take a lot of practice, I suppose, because I definitely think when people first get into yoga, your mind is just totally on like, oh my gosh, this is hard. My muscles hurt. 
Which is better than, oh my gosh, you know, this person said this, or this is a problem, or I'm so dumb, or right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's like I said, like, I think that's why movement can be such a powerful way to step into this practice of mindfulness is because you have this tangible body that's so much easier to, to pay attention to and to study and to listen to than, you know, if you dive straight into trying to understand something as nebulous as emotions. So talk to me about flexibility and ADHD, because I had never heard that. I did not know that there was a link. Yes. Well, the research is still emerging, but there's a condition called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And this is like, this is where most of the research is coming from Mm -hmm. because people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, EDS, they have very extreme forms of this. And it basically, it, it comes from the structure of the collagen is different. And Collagen is the most abundant protein in the body. And so it's found in your skin, your muscles, your tendons, your ligaments, but also the walls of your arteries, the walls of your gut lining. It's throughout the body and it's structured differently. And it it's more likely, it's, it's easier to stretch out, but it's also, it doesn't have the elasticity, which means it doesn't bounce back to its original shape as quickly as other people's collagen does. And so it can present all sorts of problems. And we see it again, you know, the body is so tangible. And so the easiest way to notice it is when somebody is very flexible, maybe they have hyperextending knees or hyperextending elbows, you know, these people who can and I'm one of them, these people, people like me, (laughs) we can get up in the morning, first thing in the morning, no stretching, fold forward, standing up with our knees straight, place our hands flat on the floor. We're just very flexible. Yeah. Um, But Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is kind of like at the far end of the spectrum, but kind of like ADHD, it's, it's a whole spectrum. And so there are people who may not have full on EDS, but they are still hypermobile. They sit Mm -hmm. somewhere on the spectrum and it can be somewhat insidious because it means that they might have some symptoms that are just bad enough to cause them some discomfort, some annoyances, but not bad enough to necessarily take them to the doctor. Or if they do go to the doctor, this is what I dealt with because I had gut issues for years. And now I know it's because of my hypermobility. Wait, wait, um, wait. Really? Okay. Talk about that. Well, it's just the the, the collagen in the lining of the gut, the, you know, the, the walls of your intestines is extra stretchy. Hmm. So if you think about, okay, we're going to have to talk about poop for a minute. (laughs) I hope, I hope you don't mind. But if you think about a tube of toothpaste and, and you can squeeze that toothpaste out of the tube of toothpaste nice and easily because there's so much tension in the actual tube. But if you put that toothpaste in something, say like a balloon, and you were trying to squeeze it out, it wouldn't come out necessarily the other end. The balloon would just kind of, it would just splurge out to the sides of the balloon if you, yeah. if you get my, uh, my visual. And so it's that kind of thing. The lack of tension in the gut can cause issues, but also the, the lack of tension in the arteries so are, we get like pooling of the blood. So people with hypermobility also uh, have a, a higher rate of anxiety 
and fatigue. And a lot of that is due to the fact that because our, our arteries are extra stretchy, we get this pooling of blood. So the body's like, hang on, the blood's not getting pumped through fast enough. And so what it does is it releases adrenaline. So we've got more adrenaline than we need. And the, I mean, I could go on and on and on about this, Tracy. There's so many things. But, but yeah, so, so when, so very often people don't even realize that they have hypermobility and, and they might go to the doctor like, Oh, you know, I, I, I have weird digestion. The doctor runs some blood tests. They're like, Oh no, you're fine. And they send you away with, with no answers. And so that's where it can be kind of insidious is if you sit somewhere on the spectrum where it's not causing like debilitating problems, but just enough that you're like, I know something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. And if you're hypermobile, there's a one in three chance that you may have some ADHD presentations. Huh. That is so interesting. I, yeah. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Well, and there's so much research now about the gut and, you know, serotonin and it's made in the stomach and, you know, all of these things Mm -hmm. that I think were just poo-pooed for so long that we're now looking at and seeing, no, there actually is something behind this. So absolutely. I, I find yeah. it fascinating. Okay. So anything else you want to tell us about flexibility and ADHD or have we exhausted that topic? No, not, not at all. I mean, I could go into like the reasons why there's this link, depending on how much time we have and how we can kind of take this information to move differently, because that's what I'm really big on is, is just recognizing that because what what happens with a lot of people is they go and practice yoga because because you know we're whether you're hypermobile or ADHD or both we have a higher correlation of anxiety right and so what do you do if you're anxious and you're naturally flexible you go practice yoga hmm. <laughs> and then you practice but if you practice yoga in say well like bikram style mm-hmm. in a lot of the traditional forms you can really hurt your body well, you know, um, because it's, it's not, right. the, the, yeah, it's, it's not good for the way that our collagen is structured. The thing about Bikram though, that I always said is I could never do any other yoga or I'm wrong about that. But the thought was Bikram is type A yoga, you know, I mean, it's really, yeah. intense, it's really hot. And I think that's what attracted me to it. But as I got older, I realized, you know what? It's too extreme. It's too much. And so I love what you're saying. That type A yoga, that's something that I, I want to touch on, actually, um, because that's actually good for our ADHD brains. But I, yeah, I just I wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of what's happening for people. And it's not just ADHD. It's, it's there's a, a list of people with um, dysautonomia, which is basically like a weird or abnormal autonomic nervous system. And, and, you know, people, people with these, these things, usually it shows up uh, for them in the form of mood issues like anxiety. They might have the digestive issues that I talked about. They might experience dizziness standing up these kinds of things. And this is, this is actually because, um, the autonomic nervous system. So this is the part of our, our nervous system that just does all the, the things that we don't have to think about digestion, circulating our blood, healing our wounds, you know, our, uh, 
um, immune system, those kinds of things. And that the main job of the autonomic nervous system is to bring fuel to the brain. And the brain's fuel is glucose and oxygen. And it gets that through blood supply, right? And there's often this dysregulation though, because of like going back to that weird collagen or uh, there's, there's other reasons why the, the brain may not be getting this, the blood supply that it needs. And so what it will do to upregulate this blood supply is to get more movement going in the body. And that's why we see the kind of fidgeting and this hyperactivity in ADHD. And if you're hypermobile, then you your brain has to work even harder to, to drive this movement um, because of the, um, the collagen structure, it leads to lowered proprioception, which is the brain's understanding of what's happening in the rest of the body, basically. So that drives blood. If you've ever think, so what I like to think about is if you've ever thought about how anywhere in the body that needs some extra TLC, it's going to get extra blood there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever you eat a big meal, the reason that you feel tired is because your body has sent blood to your stomach to help break down that food. Because we don't just suddenly make extra blood, right? It means that the rest of your body has to sacrifice its blood supply so that this other area can get the blood that it needs. And what happens very often with um, people with ADHD is the area of the brain that's driving this movement, the frontal cortex, takes extra blood. And so the areas of the brain that sacrifice blood are the areas that allow for focus and inhibition and, you know, keep us calm. And so that's, you know, can lead to being distracted. It can lead to anxiety, but these things, this is also really great for creativity. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, we never want to think of it as like you always say, we never want to think of it as a a bad thing. It's just a kind of difference. But um, something else that is really interesting that's showing up in some of the research is that people with ADHD, and this also shows up with people and people with hypermobility, is that they, they struggle with stable binocular vision. And so what this means is basically, if you think about whenever you want to focus your eyes on something close to your face, you're kind of crossing your eyes, right? And that means your your left eye is looking to the right and your right eye is looking to the left in order for you to focus on that thing. And so your eyes are working in unison, but in opposite directions. And this is something that people with ADHD struggle with. And it's not obvious because we can still get the job done. But if you were to look at the eye movement very carefully, you might see that the eyes aren't working perfectly together. And this creates a feeling of unsafety for the brain. The brain is going, mm, something's not happening. Something's not, not right here. And so those areas of the brain where the visual system live, like the occipital area and the midbrain, they get extra blood, again, taking away blood from those areas of the brain that uh, create the inhibitions, that create focus. So all of that said, there are things that we can do in 
say for me, because I'm a yoga addict in, in a yoga practice that can help to get more regulation and like upregulate these areas of the brain. Tell me if I'm, if I need to clarify anything, because I know for people, especially like listening to brain stuff for the first time, it can be a little bit overwhelming. So Adele, bring it back to yoga. It's very interesting and how yoga can help as far as upregulate those areas and bring, you know, more blood, I guess, is what you're getting at, right? More blood to the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. So the frontal lobe, it drives movement and it works with the, the areas of the brain that coordinate movement and thought and planning which is where ADHD brains struggle, of course. And emotion. And also the cerebellum. Um, and the cerebellum is, is called the, the mini brain. That's its nickname because it does so many things. It's almost like a little brain all on, on its own. And the cerebellum, it benefits. So this is going back now to what you said about the certain types of yoga practices that is just a set sequence that you do over and over and over again. So the cerebellum benefits from repetition but it also benefits from variety. And ADHD people really love variety. We want to do something different every single time. And that's really good. Really, really good because every, you know, every time you have to do something that's different, that's new, that creates learning for the brain, that upregulates the cerebellum, that's going to benefit the frontal lobe. But we also need to balance that with repetition because the cerebellum, the, basically the best way to boost the cerebellum is to give it challenge. And for an ADHD brain, maybe the biggest challenge is repetition, is to do the same thing over and over. So what I dis discovered that I was doing in my yoga practice, and it's now what I share on, on my membership site, is a combination of the two. And what I do is I just do like a 10 or 15 minute sequence that's really fun, full of variety, creative transitions, just, you know, a, a total departure from traditional yoga. But then I repeat it and I repeat it again and I do it again. And so it becomes this loop. So I get the, the benefit of the creative, fun, variety of movement and the benefit of repetition by doing it over and over again. I wonder too, Adele, if um, what the repetition does is it increases positive motivation or positive emotion because you feel successful, right? You know what to expect and you can do it. And over time, you kind of can see yourself getting better and better at it. Absolutely. It's like they say that, you know, repetition leads to mastery. And so, you know, if you're trying to master a skill and you're doing it differently every time, then, you know, maybe you're not going to get that, that reward <laughs> of mastering the skill. Um, so you, yeah, you've got to absolutely just do the same thing over and over and over again. And so, yes, absolutely. There's benefits to, to repetition for many reasons. But um, another thing that I have started including in my yoga practice and I included in my teachings as well, since I started doing this neurology training is including work on the vestibular system. So the vestibular system is like your inner ear 
it's balance basically. And it works closely with the visual system. And 80% of kids with ADHD show vestibular issues. And so we actually are already working our vestibular system when we practice yoga or when we do any kind of movement, because it's anything like moving forward and backward, moving up and down, but doing it in a conscious way, intentionally adding these things can be really beneficial. So very often we're moving forward all the time. And, you know, if you think about like a sun salutation, you move from downward facing dog forward to the front of the mat. Um, you step forward from a lunge to the front of the mat, but there's not a whole lot of backward movement. So what I, what I like to try and do is think about balancing out the forward movement with backward movement, just to give that the vestibular system some work. But then I'll also, I, I will get people, I, I do this in my own practice. I do it in my teachings where you pick a point on the mat to look at and you hold your eyes there, but then you move your head around. And this helps upregulate the vestibular system as well. And then also working on the convergence. Like I talked about, you know, basically crossing your eyes. And so bringing your eyes into a cross eye position and then bringing them back out. Because this also helps the, the, this isn't just good for people with ADHD. This kind of movement also helps you with your flexion. So it, it kind of, it works in the brain with the muscles that do flexing work as in forward folds. So if you struggle to touch your toes, then adding some convergence, i.e. crossing your eyes, can actually help with that. So I don't say like, oh, this is good for people with ADHD. I just say this is this is good for your brain. <laughs> you know, I just want to say something about balance because this one really kind of threw me for a loop. And I know I talk about, you know, ADHD 2.0, Dr. Uh, Ned Hallowell and John Rady's new book all the time. And you're probably sick of it, but I'm one of these people. It takes a lot for me to really believe in something. But once I believe, I just rave and I can't stop. But they specifically talk about balance in their new book. And they talk about how balance and coordination training can be transformative for kids with ADHD. I'm sure it's helpful for adults as well. And what they used or they were talking about is they use a wobble board, mm -hmm. exactly what you're talking about here, cerebellar uh, stimulation. And they have a child stand on one foot with his eyes closed for a certain amount of time. And apparently there's a small study of preschoolers where one group had balance training and the other didn't. And there was significant improvement in attention and self-control in those who did the balance training and those that didn't. And we know that martial arts uses balance and coordination, mm -hmm. right? As well as focus and discipline. I know I danced ballet almost for 10 years. And I swear, I think that is why my ADHD symptoms are not as, you know, as great as they could be. But yoga, obviously, right, uses yeah. balance. And coordination. And with yoga, you also have that breath element, right? So yeah. you're totally calming the nervous system down. So this isn't like, we're not just making this up. You know, when the leading experts, top medical experts on ADHD are talking about balance, I think there's something really here. And I have to yeah. tell you, I keep going back to Bikram because that's really the only style of yoga I know. But my focus and attention was better than it has ever been, which is why I got to go back to yoga, but it needs to be more of, you know, not an insane form of yoga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It really did yeah. make a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, just, uh, there's so many things I could say at this point, Tracy, but just <laughs> on that note, one of the things that I'm really big on is 
letting people know that you don't have to do 90 minutes or 60 minutes or even 30 minutes, just 10 minutes can be really good. Yeah. And so like, that's, that's what I do on my membership site. I've got all sorts of really short flows because, because for me, I know like if I tell myself I have to do 60 minutes of yoga or 90 minutes of yoga, I will keep putting it off and putting it off until I just don't do it. (laughs) You know, another day goes by that I haven't done it. But if I say, I'm just going to do 10 minutes, then I can get on the mat. I can do 10 minutes. And usually it turns into 30 minutes, you know, but it's like, I've just given myself the task of just doing 10 minutes. We have trouble starting, but once we start, we Uh typically don't want to quit, right? So this makes sense. Exactly. So are you working on something, Adele, that you want to tell us about? Where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Well, you mentioned my Instagram. That's probably, I don't know, probably the first thing that would come up if you Googled me. But what I have been putting every ounce of my being into for the last few months is my new membership site, Move with Adele. And it's it's where I explained like I do these 10 to 15 minute flows that are really fun and creative, but which loop. So I start and finish each flow in the same position so that you can then you do it once. And if you feel up to it, then you can do it again and you get that benefit of the repetition with the variety, but they're really short. So also, you know, if you're busy and you've got a place to be or something, you know that at least you did that 10 minutes, but then there's also all sorts of other things. There are full length classes on the app there because it is, it's a website, but there's also a Apple and Android version. So are these all, are they all on demand? Yes. Okay. But I will also be doing live classes on there as well. Got it. Once a month live classes. And I'm going to have guests as well. I don't want it to just be me and my face and my voice on there. I'm going to have guests. So, well, it's funny about live things too. You know, normally I'd be like, oh my God, you want me to take a class online? You know, it's not even live. How is that going to work for the ADHD brain? But there is something about you that is just so appealing. Again, you're just, you make it seem fun that I can imagine that it's probably quite successful. Oh, thank you. I, well, I have to say, I, I always try and make yoga fun. I don't Mm -hmm. think that yoga has to be the super serious thing to be spiritual or to be transformative. And the way I see it is if you're having fun, then you're enjoying yourself. And if you enjoy yourself, then you're you're going to want to come back to it. So I always encourage people to have fun with their yoga practice. Just move, move in a way that feels good. And you certainly do that. So I'm going to go back to something, you know, we're getting towards the end of the interview, but I want to go back to something because I think there are so many women with ADHD who struggle with RSD. And so my question for you is what advice would you have for them? Oh my goodness. Let me just think about this for a second, Tracy, because I want to give a, I want to give an actual meaningful answer. Well, let me start with another question that might be, that might to, you know, what you think is most important. I'd like to know, once you knew, oh my gosh, this is ADHD, number one, did that help your RSD? And then number two, 
once you knew, oh, there's such a thing as RSD and it's related to ADHD, did that also help your RSD? Just the knowledge and the learning. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like I said, knowledge is therapy. It's just knowing. And and it's not about attaching yourself to a label and attaching your identity to this label, but rather just having an explanation to, to know that there is a reason that you feel this way. And that is, that is the biggest thing for me is just, you know, reading through the symptoms and going, Oh my gosh, this, (laughs) this isn't because I'm lacking in character or, you know, like I don't have a thick enough skin or whatever, because, you know, sometimes people like I would get so upset about something somebody said to me on my Instagram or whatever. And then all my friends are going, Oh, just, you know, screw those people like haters going to hate whatever. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't just say haters going to hate and then leave it. (laughs) But now just knowing like, that's just because that's how my nervous system is wired. Um, and, and I can therefore detach myself from it. I can, I can look at it like this object that is separate from me that, okay, this sensation that I feel, this mental and physical sensation that I feel from getting this, this criticism, this, this mean comment, whatever it might be, is because of the way that my nervous system works. And it's not something that I have to attach myself to. And I know that I still deserve love and respect no matter what happens, even if I get something wrong, even if I make a mistake, even if I, you know, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. Right. And so just taking that feeling and separating myself from it is huge. That was a brilliant answer. And I have to acknowledge you for your fearlessness because I can't imagine anything harder than having RSD and starting an Instagram doing what you're doing and you show up every day and do it. So I'm sure that must must help the RSD too though, right? That I'm not going to let these people get me down. I'm going to show up because look at all the people that I'm helping. For sure. And I have to say, I feel like I have the best audience in the world. I love my followers so much. It's so rare that I get anything that's actually hurtful that, yeah, I I feel like, you know, maybe we do attract, um, maybe whatever it is, I've done something right to attract the most amazing, intelligent, kind people as my audience. So I, I'm really lucky in that way as well. Well, and I think so much of it is, You being willing to stand up and say, this is who I am. I'm going to be visible. And guess what? When you do that, other people that are attracted to who you are are like, oh my gosh, I'm your people. So it makes sense that you'd have a wonderful audience. Yeah. They're the best. Shout out to my audience. (laughs) So give us, give us the links where we need to go to find more about you. Sure. So my Instagram is just my name and my name is spelled A-D-E-L-L. Bridges. And then the membership site that I'm really excited about is I I really, I've put so much into making it beneficial, useful, valuable is movewithadel.com. And so again, A D E L L, movewithadel.com. Wonderful. We will have these on the show notes. And um, one last question What do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? 
owning it as this incredible gift and just recognizing that if there's something that you you want to do differently to what everybody else around you is doing because you know that's what's going to work for you then own it and be like this is my version of it and if anybody's got a problem with it they can turn away and not look because I'm going to do it this way. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Adele, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. That was so fun and I knew it would be. Thank you, Tracy. It's been so much fun talking to you about all of this. And I, I mean, I just want to thank you. I'm a huge fan and your podcast has helped me so much. I've been telling all of my ADHD friends about it. So it's been a huge honor to actually get to be here talking to you. Ditto. Ditto. Thank you, Adele. So that's what I have for you for this week. Again, this episode of ADHD for Smartass Women was brought to you by our free master series, Five Days to Fall in Love with Your ADHD Brain. We'll be running it beginning in on Monday, June 21st, and you can sign up at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash I love my brain. If you like this episode with Adele, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.